0: Well, the man himself, Dave Masterman. How are you doing? Hello. Can I, do you still call yourself Dave, or have you reached that kind of level of maturity where you're a David now?
1: No, I always um, did consider moving across to being a David, but I just don't think I am a David, unfortunately. Other friends of mine have managed that, and they've pulled it off fairly well. But um, no, I think I'll always be Dave, unless
0: I'm in trouble with my mum, and that is, of course, still a David. And oh, still a David, yeah. I used to live with a Dave who became a David. Right. He was my housemate. We didn't we didn't last very long as housemates after that. <laughs> Um, so we're here at your uh, workplace, Audio Always, in uh, Media City in Salford in Manchester. Um, I suspect there were people that might not have heard of the uh, the company. They've probably come across some of the work and some of the stuff that you produce here. So um, just give us a little brief overview, if you would, of um, Audio Always and, and kind of what you do. Yeah,
1: I think that's the thing with um, an independent production company or an indie, as we call it, within the industry. I think you don't really spot them unless you you really know what's going on with how things are being made within radio. So at the moment, we are producing a number of shows for the BBC. Uh, We've had OJ Borge on uh, Radio 2 for over a year now. Uh, We recently won the pitch for Ellis James and John Robbins on Five Live. So we've been doing that for a few months. And we also now produce Radio 1's Life Hacks program as well on a Sunday afternoon. So they're the three, uh, what we call strands uh, in in the radio world. And then on top of that, we do... Uh, documentaries, we've got a couple for Radio 1 coming up, uh, for World Service you might hear our name at the end of some of those uh, docs that are done there podcast wise we do the Hollyoaks podcast, uh, we do the podcast Help I Sexted My Boss uh, with Jordan North and William Hansen so yeah a mixed bag and as all indies have and I think that's the interesting thing with working for an indie is you can kind of turn your hand to anything if you want to, it just depends what you where you think the idea is whether you think you've got the tools to produce another full you know, weekly radio show, which is a whole different beast altogether. Um, but I think we're at a stage now here at Audio Always where we're picking and choosing a little bit more um, because we've got a few things on the go. So as opposed to a year ago, where my boss, Stu, um, might have been pretty much, you know, firing at anything to try and see what's out there. We're at a point now
0: where we can be a bit more selective with what we're going for, which is quite nice. Good stuff. Um, we've got plenty to talk about. So we've got XFM, we've got Radio X... Absolute Radio. Before all that, though, uh, where did it all kind of begin for you? So not sort of first job, what was the moment when you realised that radio, that, that audio, that communications were, was what you wanted to do? The show for me was JK and Joel on Key 103. Yeah, I
1: remember it well. Because uh, I must have been maybe halfway through my secondary school years. So I think that was the time when I realised maybe I had a bit more of a fascination with media and with, and not even just radio at that point, TV, TV. I remember going for early, early work experience roles when you're halfway through secondary school. And the only thing I really wanted to go for was like ITV, Channel 4, BBC. I had no idea how to get into it, but I knew that that was, that, yeah, I had more of an interest than most. And then I think towards the end of secondary school, I really got into that show and it just sounded like the most fun show. You had these two guys who I think it could be argued that was their prime as well with, you know, they were, they were doing such good radio and it sounded fun and it was a community and it was a there was a team spirit there and, they were going out and DJing at Brannigan's on a Thursday night. And I thought it (laughs) felt like the most kind of glamorous thing to be doing. And then coming in doing a breakfast show the next morning. And even then, I didn't realize that was what I wanted to get into. But I just remember being fascinated by this world and by these mates who were just having such fun. And then I got to college and uh, one of my mates who was there managed to get a work placement at a radio station at Key 103, actually, and just came off the back of it and just said that was the most amazing two weeks. So then I thought, right, this is what I need to be really trying to figure out. Because I remember being jealous that she had managed to get it. And I was thinking, why didn't I get that? And it probably because I didn't try hard enough to get it. But that's when I really thought, okay, you clearly can get into these stations because she had done it for two weeks or maybe even a month. And I couldn't believe it. And then I I just thought, right, what do I need to do to make sure I'm getting these placements that are clearly available if you really try hard enough? Uh, So at the very beginning of college and across those two years at college, I think that's when I really realised that it was radio that I wanted to be honing my skills towards. Uh, how did it kind of unfold from from there then? So talk to me about university. Well, uni by that point, I made quite um, a conscious effort to make sure I was doing the right things to stand me in good stead for when I came out of uni three years later. It was probably one of the most wisest thing I did in those three years because the very unwise things I did in those three years, <laughs> as we all do. Uh, I went to Sheffield Hallam University and pretty much from the beginning, I got in touch with Rush Radio which was the uh, student radio station got involved heavily with them from the beginning um and became a program controller of that radio basically it went it went bust after the end of my second year I think and I thought well I'll relaunch it, because then on my CV, all in my head I'm thinking is, on my CV, I can have that, I ran this radio station, even if I did it just for a year, that is still how, you know, it's all about perception and things, so I I relaunched it, and it was a lot of hard work, but we got it back up and running, so the final year of uni, uh, I was running the radio station, um, and I had a lot of fun with it, it wasn't massive, it was a little room in the library at Hallam University, but we had fun and there were different types of shows and stuff and then uh, I met your good self and I would say from a professional capacity uh, doing uh, some work at Dern FM in Barnsley was definitely my first foray into actual professional radio and my eyes were opened and it blew my mind and again just that next level into right I'm just gonna do as much free stuff here as I need to do to make sure that on my CV I've got these, this impressive set of bullet points of the responsibilities and roles that I've been doing, and that was kind of how I w- my my mind then worked for the next two or three years was just what can I do, where can I go to add another four, five, six line paragraph to my CV, and that was that was all kind of how I remember visualizing it. Just if I could have in my head at the time, I was thinking if I could have XFM on there, if I could have Radio One on there, the different stations that I could show that you know a real smorgasbord of where I've been before I even get a pound, or, you know, or wh- whatever the money might be, I just wanted to get this really, really strong CV. And Dern FM was definitely uh, a launch pad for me because you guys just, you know, I read some news bulletins. I went out and got audio.
0: I remember in the, was it the playoff final? Yeah, yeah, I remember that. I was, it was recording a, some stuff for you. walkabout pub in the centre of Barnes. It was a rowdy pub,
1: I remember that. And you sent me out to get little Vox Pop song, the smoking ban and stuff. And you really kind of let me just kind of go about... Getting audio and even being on air, and that was really, you know, generous of Dern FM and generous to kind of give me that opportunity. But I just remember grabbing it with both hands and thinking, this is this could be the start of something if I really kind of focus and you know, yeah, take it seriously.
0: I was going to kind of ask about this because it's, I mean, maybe we're jumping a little bit ahead here, um, but. Um, obviously radio's kind of changed quite a bit and opportunities at you know local radio stations are fewer and far between because local radio stations are, are fewer and are far between. Um but kind of how useful was that to kind of give you that sort of foundation, I guess, in 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 kind of you know working in a radio environment? Yeah, well it
1: did. And and again, it was it was it was doing FM that started that really, and then I got a month at Q103, which was still then classed as a local station. And I think from a from a passion point of view, I don't know whether I would still have the same passion for radio if it wasn't for local radio, because I wasn't listening to... I did a bit, because I was still curious by the medium, and still curious by the, the craft of radio, so I was skipping around a bit, even very young, but that my passion came from that Key 103 Breakfast Show and how they could be so local, you know, and how they could talk about the DJing on the Thursday night in Brannigans and what they were getting up to and promotions and competitions. I, I remember entering so many competitions to try and get, you know, VIP tickets to Red Hot Chili Peppers playing at Man City Stadium and stuff like that. And that was all because it was a Manchester station. And I felt like I was, you know, I'm, I, I'm from Stockport, so it felt very personal to me. And then moving into those stations, and again, doing the internship at q 103, working at Dern FM for so long, um, I don't think I'd necessarily have got those opportunities if there weren't those local stations near where I was at the time. Not everyone can swan off to London for three months to do, you know, a, a placement down there. So to have those local outlets at the time helped me because they were around where I was. When I was in Sheffield, I could go to Dern FM. When I was in Manchester, I was lucky enough to get to Key 103. So... I don't think I would be doing as much radio. I wouldn't be where I am now without those opportunities within the local radio stations at the time.
0: I'm testing my memory a little bit here. If I remember correctly, when you finished university... Uh, you went to work at Marks & Spencers for a while. Wow. I remember that because I, I did your reference. <laughs> did you? Yeah. Bless I rem- you. I remember Thank that. Thank you, James. Uh, it's about the only thing I remember from the last 15 <laughs> years, but I remember that. Uh, another thing I remember about is in your days when you were, uh, you were with me at Dern, um, having kind of various chats with you about radio and stuff like that. I remember you saying a couple of times, your kind of ideal job would be a uh, breakfast show producer on XFM. You said, Is that what That's, I said? That's what yeah, you said that was the dream. That was, you know, kind of your the, the job that you really wanted to do. Right. Um, and of course you know not too not too far into the future after that that's the job that that you're doing so um, talk us through kind of that that kind of process of how you kind of get to that point. Yeah I'll, I'll try and keep it quick because
1: there, <laughs> there are a few stages but some of them are quite important. Um, I started at XFM Manchester very I was lucky again to get an internship there from the Rush Radio work so that summer of 2006 I left uni and I was uh, in at XFM Manchester. It was just when XFM Manchester was starting. So I was so lucky that I could get involved with this station. That at the time was actually really big as well. They had a lot of staff working there, a lot of presenters, you know. It was a proper station. It soon wasn't, unfortunately, because it it all got centralised. And they had, I think, a breakfast and drive show just coming from Manchester in the end. But I got my foot in the door there and I became station producer after doing some overnight presenting shifts. I suppose it's important saying that at a time I was really hoping to be a presenter as well. And it soon dawned on me, actually, I'm I'm, produce, I, I'm I'm enjoying the production side more than I am the presenting here. I get too nervous to be the presenter. I'm overthinking things. I actually don't actually think I'm good enough to be the presenter. I was basically trying to be Zane Lowe, and no one else can be Zane Lowe apart from Zane <laughs> Lowe. Um, so I got my foot in the door there, and then it all uh, kind of went kaput when XFM Manchester essentially closed down 80% of what it was doing. So then there was no need for a station producer. And I chanced it and I went to London and I knew I always wanted to get to London one day and I got down there and I was doing promotions work for a little bit. This is about 2008 now. And then, but I was always keeping my connection, you know, my contacts and my connections with XFM because I knew a lot of them who were at the London station as well. And then luckily I got, I think, two weeks on Dave Berry's drive time show. Um, to produce that because their producer had gone off to do Johnny Vaughan on Capital. So I got two weeks there and they said, this is just two weeks. Then we're going to be looking to get a new producer in and that'll be it. And I stayed, I basically stayed on that (laughs) show for, I think, uh, another 18 months. And then we went to breakfast from there. So that was my journey from doing Drive with Dave. And Dave is one of the nicest guys and one of the most creative as well. And we had a lot of fun on that Drive Time show. So then to come to breakfast together was brilliant. That was a dream come true. So that's how I got into xfm breakfast which is what i always wanted to do so i was producing that show and then i stuck around through possibly too many presenters i just didn't (laughs) budge because it went from dave berry who then went off to capitol so then uh danny wallace came in so i did a couple of years with danny wallace danny then decided to go and do something else and then john holmes came in and then of course from john holmes being the final xfm breakfast presenter it became Radio X and then Chris Moyles came in and then I, I really fought to be a, a, um, a member of that team as well because Chris had his own ideas and rightly so from his from his time at Radio 1 and stuff so I think my boss at the time Chris Bourne really kind of made a made a big deal of me to Chris Moyles by saying keep this guy on your team he'll be, he'll be important so and then I had an amazing 18 months on Chris's show
0: You'll have been asked this a million times working with Moyles, what is that like?
1: <laughs> it's um It's one of it's one of the most uh, fun times I've had in radio, because of the freedom of what he had, and you know he he said it openly on the radio many times. So I'm not these aren't any top secret uh, revelations here, but he had (laughs) carte blanche to do what he wanted on that show, Uh, and he made and he still continues to make the most of that. So in terms of a fun show to work on. Yeah, I had a blast for eighteen months. I really did. Uh, and he is—he's a really decent guy as well. And he's—he's he's a genius in his own way because of how he does radio. No one else does it like him. And I don't think anyone else could do it like him again because things have moved on. But he's—he's he's still managing to get away with it, which is great. But just such a fascinating, fascinating guy, both on and off the radio. His mind's always going. Um, And the team around him as well. I still see Pippa regularly, who was the exec producer at the time on that show. Um, And Dom is just one of the nicest guys in the world. So, yeah, a lot of fun. A lot of fun on that show.
0: So um, your next step then is to Absolute Radio. Yes. Uh, How did that come about?
1: Um, I think from my point of view, there was was a great 18 months with Chris. But at the same time, I'd taken a bit of drop-in role. uh, Because I'd come back down to producer as opposed to exec producer where I had been. So from an ego point of view I didn't mind that at all because I was actually quite happy with the, with what I was doing and I was happy to take that drop. I was like as long as I'm on that show I don't care what the the title is. I want to be working and see what's going on with Chris Moyles. I want to be part of that new you know that new show and I'm so glad I was. But 18 months in I just started to get itchy feet and I don't think I was really challenging myself as much as I could be doing. I was I was coasting quite a bit I think. Still having a lot of fun, but it was time to do something different and I'd had conversations with Absolute previous to that and they'd never quite come off uh, but then it got to the point where I was having a real think and then the role came up for exec producer over at Absolute and I thought I've just got to go for this I can't I've, because by that point as well I'd done 10 years at either XFM or Radio X the brand of X I had I think I'd paid my dues and I'd put in a real good stint and that I think I'll always feel that was my and is my home radio x and I, I i always look out for them when the radio results come out and i still chat to a, a, a lot of the team there and i think i'll always feel like my spiritual home but you can't you can't just live on nostalgia and live on comfort for your whole life and you got to see what else is out there and i'm so glad i did as well it was the it was the right move and it was at the right time um and then it was exactly what i hoped it would be the responsibilities um and the input I had on so many different shows. And all of a sudden, I was almost part of the management team as a poet, but still having my hand in with the more practical side of things. But I was now looking after people and, you know, people were reporting into me. And it's those sorts of things that I think you do just get to an age where you think, I should really be pushing myself a bit more here. And that's exactly what the move to Absolute did. And it's and this is no disrespect to X, but Absolute at the time, and they still are now, although X are definitely catching them, it's a bigger station. There's, there's more listeners... There's more stations because of all the digital stations that they do as well, which still blows my mind how they managed to keep all those plates spinning. Um, so it did just feel like a bit of a step up in terms of um, what I was doing.
0: And that brings us to um, where we are today. So you you came here about it's about a year ago.
1: Yeah, not even that. Actually, came in February this year. Oh so right, wow. Yeah, so just over six months. Yeah, yeah. Um, it was it was sad to leave Absolute because. I think I was on a good progression there, and I think there were good there were good times ahead, um, and I, again, got on with everyone. I was only really there for 18 months, which is a bit of a shame, but at the same time, other factors were very influential in moving back up north, which yeah. is where audio always is based, and they, they're mainly uh, factors based around living and family and everything that comes. I think when you're in London, most people get to this crossroads where suddenly you go, right, I've got whether it's whether you've got a daughter or a, or just a kid or, or wherever you are in life, you suddenly go, I don't know what my next move is in terms of where I'm going to live. Because if I want to move anywhere bigger or anywhere, I'm going to have to move so much further out of London to still justify working in London. And this is a conversation me and my wife had for, for, for quite a while before making the decision. But we eventually decided, why would we want to move to a remote part of outside the M25 just to... Then, continue still working in London when you're now not near your mates you' you're you're, no, you're still nowhere near your family who are up who are up north still, but you're managing to work it didn't it didn't just we it, it just we could not justify that, and we both turned to each other and said we love london we always will we'll always have a special place in our heart you know for london but it was it was quite an easy decision in the end we've had a fun ten years down in London, but now it was time to do something new and um we were very fortunate I was very fortunate with Getting the job up here at Audio Always, really.
0: Uh, Are you still waking up in a blind panic at half three in the morning? No. Has that finished?
1: No. Well, it it never finishes because uh, when you go to bed at night, you always count your blessings that you've not got to wake up at (laughs) half three in the morning. That never goes. Like, I still go to sleep. I can go to sleep at ten at night and get up at six a.m., which some people would deem to be fairly early. And I just think to my head, in my head, I'm going to get eight hours sleep here. This This is incredible. Eight hours of sleep. Because doing, I think I did seven or eight years on breakfast in the end. Maybe not quite that long, but it was a while. It was too long, I think, in terms of what people say, you know, the health side of lack of sleep. You're just always looking at your clock and thinking, well, if I could get an hour in here, that means I can do that later on tonight. And it was a, it was a little juggling game that you play with yourself when you're doing breakfast hours. Because I think I was mainly on about five hours a night, which isn't enough not healthy it's not healthy and i was younger and i could you can get away with it but it really isn't healthy and um whenever i speak to a breakfast show producer now i do say look after yourself and also try not to do it forever because yeah the sleep is important (laughs) and i think you realize how important it is if you've done yeah six or seven eight years on a breakfast
0: show um you're obviously kind of no stranger to awards the shows that you've been on um have won you know plenty of awards over the year you, you yourself have have won um awards what what do you kind of look back on uh, and consider your proudest moment there's one and there I think there always will be one
1: um Danny Wall, the Danny Wallace breakfast show um what year must it have been maybe 2010 maybe 2011 um We did a thing called The Naked Breakfast on XFM. And essentially, it was a Friday morning breakfast show, just before Christmas, actually. And the challenge was, for the whole show, not one button will be pressed. So the ads will be live, the music will be live, the features will be live. And I exec produced that show because I was exec at the time on Danny. So it was petrifying. And I must have only been mid-20s at the time. And we had Stereophonics as our house band. We had Paul Weller, Miles Kane, Tim Minchin... um, uh smith and Burroughs did one because it was christmas i think tim wheeler from ash they all played little tracks for us the ads were all recorded with three voiceover artists uh all scripted but all as you know with ads they have to be spot on you can't deviate from a script with it they need to you know the they needed to be bang on and that was quite a stressful part of it as well they had to be a certain length they had to be said in a certain way because this is what was signed off with how ads need to be they had to be separate from the programming side of things uh and then all the features as well so if we had beds and stuff that we played and production in the studio usually this was now all live as well so we had like musicians in the corner and danny had his scripts and we had the this was at shepherd's bush empire this was so we had uh, some of the audience on the ground with us to play the games and yeah i think it was a three and a half hour it might have even been a four hour breakfast show back in those days and we nailed it and it was brilliant and it, it did win awards um Uh, I I look back and think I don't think I'll ever do anything so kind of full on and there was so much prep that went into it and it was, yeah I was very proud of that because we really pulled it off as well and Danny did a fantastic job presenting it
0: it sounds really rewarding, that kind of thing that you do when you, you kind of the night before just think, why do we ever agree to yeah. this? But when you get to the end of it, you look back and think, oh, that was just... There's no better feeling, is there, than No, that kind of looking back on something and you've pulled it off.
1: Exactly. And I think they, those moments, you, if you probably within any walk of life and the career that you're in, if every couple of years those moments come along, I think you're doing all right and you know, you're testing yourself. Earlier on this year, we launched Ellis James and John Robbins on Five Live. This was a show that was on XFM and Radio X, so I produced them at the same time as producing Chris Moyles. You talk for three minutes, you play a song, or maybe two songs. You, you get a break for eight minutes, ten minutes, then you're back in, and within those songs, you go, right, this is what we're doing next, This, you know, and you can have features, and I think I worked it out as, in comparison, they would talk for 40 to 50 minutes on a three-hour Radio X show compared to what's going to be 100 minutes for a two-hour, five-live show with no breaks, with no adverts, with no songs. And again, I got the same feeling again after that first show and during that first show. Oh, my God. I mean, it was seat of your pants stuff. And it still is, actually, because we're still learning how to do it properly because it's it's weird. It's hard. You know, they're trying to do that. They're trying to do this comedy entertainment show, which in fairness is probably built for a commercial radio station clock. But we're doing it in a two hour start on a Friday afternoon on the BBC's kind of foremost sports and news outlet. Um and it, yeah, again, you just the adrenaline runs, and you get, and you think to yourself, "This is going to be a challenge. This is going to be a real challenge because this is new for us all." But at the same time, you think we are all experienced, and we are all smart enough to know that we can do this. But it's going to be a challenge, and it was, and um, it continues to be so. It was only, a, I think, maybe three or four months in, and we're still figuring it all out because to go from commercial radio to a speech-led show is is a big jump.
0: But um, we're getting there with it. Opposite end of the scale. Then, what have you been involved in that you look back and think, "Oh, shouldn't have done that." Total disaster. A total
1: disaster in a, in a decision I made was to be a character on XFM Manchester's old daytime show XU, which was going to be the the no presenter led uh, kind of um, formatted six hour daytime schedule. So it was basically their way of trying to cut money, without saying we're cutting. Yeah. You know, we're, we're cutting resource. So the way to get around the competitions for that, and if we ever had to give anything away, I became new Rave Dave in the Prize Cave, right. which is essentially some sort of Ali G send-up, um, which was <laughs> cringeworthy, and luckily there is no audio. Well, no one's no one's found any. And it was it was terrible, and it was, yeah, it was a bad decision for me. But I was so young, I was like 21, 22, and they're like, we've got to give these tickets away. How are we going to give them away? There's no live presenters, but we need something to be live to make sure it's a live competition, do you want to be new rave dave in the prize cave and i was like yeah all right <laughs> um and yeah it was horrible and the, the, but then that was a decision i made so i'll i'll you know i'll stand by it but then there was one occasion where for XU as well where we did have pre-recorded bits by presenters i just hadn't checked a piece of audio and gareth brooks who was the presenter at the time um he was back on XS manchester now actually he's back on the radio after quite a while away um at the end to one of the end of his Recorded bits, he realises that he's fluffed a line and gives one of the worst swear words out at the Ooh. end. And I just hadn't checked that final bit, and I'd gone right bang into the system. Uh, so live on XFM, man, it just sounds like he's had a breakdown halfway through. Because <laughs> as if you would do that, as if you were live on the radio, it was such a small thing that he that he got wrong. But obviously, maybe it was the fifth or sixth small thing he got wrong that listeners aren't aware of because it's all pre-recorded, and I hadn't grabbed it. And he was like, oh, and he just he went, he just he was basically chastising himself,
0: but must have been very weird to hear on the radio (laughs) i'd love to know if there's anyone that that works in radio or has worked in radio that's not had one of those moments where you end up with a swear word going out on air i think it happens to everyone at at some point for some reason or yeah another
1: it probably helps you out because it makes you go well i'll never i'll make sure that never happens again
0: so. Um, so student Dave um, had this dream of being producer on XFM and went on and, and achieved it. And obviously you've done other things since. Is there anything still left on the list of things that you want to achieve? Uh, yeah, I think so. There's, I'm, I'm kind of achieving new things now with
1: doing stuff for Radio 1, which I, at the back of my mind I always quite fancied doing. Um, so overseeing the show that we look after there. Uh, doing more documentaries and kind of getting into that side of radio a little bit more, again, which I'm fortunate enough to be doing here at Audio Always, which is great. Um, and then maybe further down the line, you know, I think it's hard because the more experience you get, the more, the, the further away you are expected to move from the live radio side of things, which is a bit of a shame because that's where the most fun is. But at the same time, I do. I want to keep moving up. Um, I'd love to run a radio station one day. Uh, I just want to make sure it's the right one. Uh, and yeah again it comes back to why I left X in the first place and went to Absolute I think which was down to responsibility and challenging yourself and uh, I, I'm I'm loving still being an in-studio producer for Ellis and John here which I do I go down to London every Friday to be physical producer for that show which I love and I probably wouldn't have done for, m- for many presenters but because I've got such a history with those two I just jumped to the chance I was like no I'll take this I'll take this show so I'm happy with that but as as things progress yeah more, more responsibility for me would be would be something that I quite like and I think that would probably come in yeah running running a station that I was that I respected and that I was that I'd be really proud to say that I was looking after
0: Course it's quite interesting times in, in radio. We talked about the NFM, the station that uh that we both kind of worked for um earlier on and um you know that no longer has its own building and it's just been kind of bought out by uh Bauer. Kind of interesting times in, in local radio. Um now you're kind of on the on the outside, if you like, looking into it. What's your kind of take on where radio's at nowadays? Um it's just it's
1: constantly changing and I do I I, I worry that there isn't that uh, there isn't as much interest for local radio as there once was, which is why I'm I'm. If I feel kind of a little bit bad to say it, but I think I'm not sure there's a massive. I think by the fact that so many so many shows are now getting networked from London and what you can do with the breakfast show and what what people are now deeming as entertainment and the fact that you've got streaming services and you you know you've got. The world of podcasts again, just on demand that a press on demand at a press of a button, you can go and listen to whatever piece of content you want. I feel local radio is it's becoming it's further away now from what people actually feel they need of a morning, which is a shame because I talked earlier about how much I love the fact that I was listening to two presenters doing their show from Manchester, but for for a younger listener, I'm not sure what the, I'm not sure that's what they want anymore as much. And I don't think there is that need for uh Hammering home that local angle with again i talk- i'm and I'm talking more about the younger listeners here, and there's that constant challenge you know the b b c are constantly trying to go younger to try and bring in these younger listeners and stuff and I think what it's got to come down to is what are they getting from a content point of view, and I'm not sure what they what what they want is necessarily local, and if a station's shouting about how local they are how you know how they're doing things you know in and around the city that these uh, young people either working or go to school in. I'm n- I'm not sure that it's what they want as much now. Which
0: yeah, it's a bit of a shame really. It's going to be interesting to see how things pan out because of the way that people consume contents changed so much in the last five years that yeah. trying to imagine where things will be in ten years, fifteen years, twenty years is it's like impossible to predict and where radio fits into that is um it's such an interesting equation isn't it trying to figure out what you know what something's going to happen in the next few years that slightly changes the direction again and 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 what will that be and you know what what will it mean for for radio and for kind of the uh broadcast slash kind of audio industry yeah i think um you're right from a radio perspective we
1: we've i think we're doing all right we're we're keeping up you know and when i say we're doing all right i know that there's people there's a lot of people who are losing their jobs when these when these stations are closing and things are becoming more central for london but as an industry i think we're just about kind of still managing to to justify the fact that we, we are important and i think i think we are i really do think we are having a conversation in the car and like having hearing people having a conversation in the car on the way to work or you know being a part of a community of a breakfast show you know i think greg james does a terrific job on radio one and doing this and really offering up a service for for the right audience there definitely is still the market there for that i don't believe one second that everyone just wants to chuck on a playlist every morning and not hear a bit of personality and a bit of content in between that and that would bring a smile to the face or, you know, just actually offers a thought or, a, or, a, or an opinion, whether, you know, if you're listening to Five, I love listening to Five Live in the morning now, just to be kept abreast of what's going on, but also to hear how different people are dealing with a certain topic that, or a certain subject that you're aware of, but you've got an opinion and you go, ah, oh, well, actually, that's a really good point. And so there's so many different facets to radio, which I think if for whatever reason, radio didn't exist tomorrow, I think we'd all be, at a, I think, we'd be a huge loss without but it is that challenge of how do we move it forward and you know i think the, there's a temptation to move as far away from these streaming services as possible to make ourselves feel different and make ourselves unique to what they're doing but actually looking further down the line do we not want to be figuring out how to work better with these streaming services the likes of spotify and deezer and everything and actually go right well how can we how can we still offer up a service of content that radio currently produces but maybe actually see find out a way to intertwine it and weave it in with the musical interests of people who are using the services. So is there something there? Like do spot is there are there ways of having links from, let's say, Frank Skinner's show on a Saturday on Absolute, but weaving it through your own personal bespoke playlist? I don't know. I'm sure there is a way. And I don't know how that would affect Rajar if it's going through Spotify rather than, you know, FM or whatever. But it just feels like people there's more choice and people are more in control now with what they can listen to and when. But I also think the content is still out there and people are still making great radio. And if, if it's, if it's down to the fact that they then feel they're losing control of the music they're playing around the links, surely there's a way to do both.
0: I suppose it's not it's not completely dissimilar to what is already happening with um, shows like Frank Skinner on the the decade stations exactly on, on Absolute, where you know the music and the show feels detached, but you listen to it because you like the content and you like the music. It's kind of glued together rather than being seamed together, but it still sort of does the does the job. A progression of that wouldn't seem kind of that difficult to achieve, I suppose. I don't think so. I think Dave Berry has a couple of books ago on radio
1: had the biggest. Uh, well, he had the number one commercial breakfast show in the country, and also we had the highest figures on absolutes in history as well. He, he, I think he went higher than Christian O'Connell, um, and they don't reference the music on that breakfast show because there they press a button and seven songs play across seven different decade stations. So I think thinking that you need this. And it's, and it's a tough one as well because half of my brain goes you do want the DJs enthusing about yeah. the songs you're playing and you do want them talking over the intros and talking over the outros but Dave's over there proving that that show's never been in better health and he's not doing any of that so people are going there for the content and then enjoying the music and you don't need Dave to go over the intro of Liam Gallagher oh I love this track you know there's new Liam one. they're not coming to Dave for that they're coming to Dave for what he's offering up in between the tracks and that's working so the argument then is if that's working, could it not work in so many other different places? Are we overthinking the fact that you do need the, the slick jock to be chatting over the intro right up to the vocals and enthusing about the fact that he went to this artist's gig the night before? I don't know. It's, it seems not because Absolute are doing it and they're doing it well.
0: Okay, what's the uh, what's the single best piece of advice you've been given?
1: When I, I, I was very fortunate enough to do three months on Radio 1 actually just after I left you guys at Dern FM that summer, just after Marks and Spencers <laughs> uh, and I, I worked my ass off to make sure that that entry was the best it could be because I was like, I- I've got one shot at this and they ask you a lot of questions, they probably still do now because it's Radio 1 so they want to make sure they get the best and I, I think I spent maybe two or three weeks honing and honing and adding and taking out this written application to become an intern at Radio 1 and I got it, I couldn't believe it Um, so I did three months with Zane and then at the end of that I think we went out for a drink towards the end and I was having a proper kind of heart to heart with him at the bar and we were talking about exactly that and he said if there's just one piece of advice I can give is just always be humble just especially at this stage in your career where you're walking that fine line as an intern or even not an intern even if the first couple of years you're in radio you're walking such a fine line between confidence and overstepping it and becomes because people are judging you then as well if you come across cocky and arrogant in the first year first you know 6 months year 2 years of radio you could you'll find yourself in trouble fairly quickly and that always stuck with me i remember just always thinking almost overplaying like how um appreciative I was to be at every job that I was in and I think I think that did stand me in good stead and I like to think I didn't ever come across as arrogant or cocky because I was really trying hard not to and that was purely from Zane just saying you got one shot at this and you're going to be new in this industry for a couple of years Uh, and I was doing all right at the time you know I was going to go back to XFM Manchester and I think I was doing a half decent job on the on the on his show as well and he just said you have got one shot at this and just over the next few years, but forever, you know, for your for your whole career, really. But m- so important now. Just be humble and make sure you're appreciating what 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 advice you can get elsewhere, and and just just be that person rather than someone who's just a bit too cocksure. And because there is you, there is humility, and you can have you can have humility with confidence. You know, it's, it's just such a fine line. And um, yeah, I tried very hard to make sure I kind of remembered those words from him.
0: Because I think it did stem me in quite uh, stem me in quite good stead. Yeah, great advice. Um, anyone then that's that's kind of you know listening to this and has maybe kind of seen your your career path and um, thinks, oh, you know, I'd I'd love to kind of get into into radio, into producing, um, you know, working at that top level. What what kind of advice would you give to to someone that's kind of set their sights on a on a career doing similar to what you've done? Um, I can only
1: really offer the advice that worked for me, um, and I, I mentioned it earlier briefly. I just had that visualization of a one page or maybe two pages back then, but I've since learned a one page CV is more than enough. <laughs> um, but two pages of really, really strong roles and responsibilities for every station that I thought I wanted to work on. And it doesn't even matter if you get the ones you want to work on, get to another station and do it again and do something else. And even if you're doing the similar things, it's it's all building up this, this tool for you and it is a tool and, it's it's all you've got at the beginning. You've not got five years of experience. You've not got recommendations from different PDs around the industry. All you've got is this CV for them to look at. And for me, it was just, I saw it as a, I saw it as a bit of a game in the end. I, was, I saw it as a real challenge that I was enjoying, which is just add as much as you can to this CV as quickly as possible. And that was from the likes of Dern FM. I would have worked at any station in, Sheffield and Yorkshire at that point, you know, I would have gone to Hallam FM. I I did try and I wasn't fortunate enough to get a placement there. And you will get knockbacks, you know. You'll get a lot of knockbacks and that that probably isn't down to you. That's probably just to do with timing and that they weren't looking for someone there and then. So don't feel like, just because one station said, no, we're not interested, don't think that's because they spotted something within your application that they've not liked, it probably just means they're not looking for interns or they've they've got someone who's they've someone's beating you to it, but it might not be anything to do with you. So visualise that CV and really use it as a strength and build it up and be proud of what's on that piece of paper because essentially you'll get to a stage where that'll land on a PD's desk or someone will see it and it'll catch their eye because of the amount, the, the variation of stuff you've got on it. Um, so just do that, basically. It's just try and get that CV looking. I always say but I, I do think that's true. And also now, I was chatting to someone the other week, and I was saying, because so he was getting some decent placements here and there and everywhere, and I was like, this is great, because he mentioned he was doing something at Absolute, but he was trying to get something at Radio X. But then he said, I'm also doing something at Wise Buddha, and I'm doing something at something else. So don't actually limit what you're trying to do now just to radio stations, because Indies are just as important and just as powerful and just as influential. They all have their own radio stations that they're producing, so I suppose when you're looking out there for the different stations to go and cut your teeth at, also have a look at the indies, because there's loads. And there's some massive ones. Like I say, the the big ones are Wise Buddha, Something Else, TBI. We're getting a bit bigger now. (laughs) But um, it's a case of yeah like you said the landscape's changing and I think within that indies are becoming more important within the industry Um, so if you're thinking you want to be adding to the experience you're getting and you want to be adding more responsibilities to that CV which like I say is what I think is important um, yeah don't just limit yourself to commercial stations or the BBC there's these uh, independent production companies everywhere that could actually be desperate for your help and desperate
0: for your skill set and you'll learn a load along the way as well Brilliant. Um, final question, the really important one. Man City has the bubble burst. <laughs> um, you move back up to... uh I know up north, you can go and see them. And uh,
1: That was it. I renew my season ticket after 10 years away. Um, no, we'll be all right. I'm worried about our defence because I think that we should have invested over the summer after company left and now that we've lost Laporte, I do worry about Stones and Otamendi at the back together. What I think will happen is... And people, if people, people might be listening to this six months down the line and I was right <laughs> but I doubt it I think Pep will start to rely more on Fernandinho dropping into that back too because you just can't trust Stones Not Amended together <laughs> when, and
0: when he's not there as well it does like a wobbly defence doesn't
1: it yeah completely thing, yeah, it? yeah but um,
0: I'm having fun watching them it's good fun and we're doing alright we're doing alright Brill. Um, thank you very much for your time today. Really appreciate it and uh look forward to seeing what else comes out of these studios in the coming weeks and months. Cheers, James, appreciate it. Thank you.